0: Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us, because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 206. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to discuss the much-anticipated sequel to the cult classic Hocus Pocus it is Hocus Pocus 2 released just a couple of weeks ago on Disney Plus.
1: I'm gonna need to stop you right here. A cult classic?
0: That's its definition.
1: Longtime listeners will know your distaste for the original. But I would hardly call it a cult classic. This is a beloved movie. I will give you though that It may have started out that way because what a lot of people don't realize is that this film was actually released over the summer. It was the 4th of July summer blockbuster in 1993. So it wasn't really even recognized as a Halloween film until they started airing it on television.
0: I mean, I think that just goes to show how much faith Disney had in the film as a Halloween movie. They buried it on 4th of July weekend in 1992.
1: Buried? Nothing. That's when the kids are off from school. That's when the demographic, the target demographic, is going to go watch it. Well,
0: look. Target
1: demographic, except for you, apparently.
0: Every year, I sit here and I say the same damn thing about Hocus Pocus, which is, this is a horrific movie, but I'm going to give it another shot. And it was hard to do until Disney Plus arrived, because I would have to like go seek the movie out on Freeform or the Disney Channel or the Family or Channel. My or, DVD like, copy? Yeah, or that. But now that it's on demand and I can literally just pull it up on my phone in the middle of nowhere whenever I want, I don't have to work that hard to seek it out. And yet every year I try, and every year when the movie ends, I go, maybe next year. And I try again the following October. Well... Seeing as we have Hocus Pocus on our minds because we are discussing this film, we are bringing you along for the ride on Sunday night, October 30th, 2022 at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook Live. We are going to be doing a live watch of Hocus Pocus so that I can sit there against better judgment and try to find the charm and enjoyment in what is otherwise an awful film.
1: That's right, listeners. I'm taking you down with me in what I hope is the final attempt to convert Sean to a believer in this film.
0: But that's Sunday night's discussion. Today's discussion is, was this film better than the original? Did we actually need a sequel? Do we want to see the story continue? That, on many, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today.
1: This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. And they have got a ton of Halloween designs. They have the Mickey Jack-O-Lantern that you see on Main Street USA. They've got an Oogie Boogie. They have got something for everyone's Halloween obsession. So when you're shopping for Halloween merch or any other time, you can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy to stay up to date on all of the new releases.
0: It is 1653 in Salem, Massachusetts, and we see a young Winifred Sanderson get banished from the town by Reverend Trask after refusing to marry John Pritchett. Mary and Sarah join her and escape to the forbidden, uh, forbidden forest where they meet Mother Witch who gives Winifred her book as a 16th birthday gift but warns against using the Magica Maxima spell. In modern day Salem Becca and Izzy practice witchcraft and are preparing to celebrate Becca's 16th birthday without their estranged friend Cassie Trask. They visit the old Sanderson home, which is now a magic shop owned by Gilbert, who gifts Becca a candle for her birthday ritual. This turns out to be a black flame candle, so the Sanderson sisters are brought back again as soon as the candle is lit. We learn that Gilbert set the girls up as he knew they could bring the Sanderson's back and that he has admired them since seeing them for the first time on Halloween night, 1993. The sisters... Catch up with the girls as they pursue Cassie's dad, who is the mayor and descendant of Reverend Trask. Winifred has decided to use the Magic High Maxima spell to take her revenge on Trask and Salem, but needs Trask's blood to do so. They trap Izzy and Becca in the basement of the store and send Gilbert to get the rest of the ingredients for the spell. The girls escape to go to Cassie's home to warn her and her father that the Sanderson's are coming. Meanwhile, the Sanderson's enchant the entire town at their Halloween festival in order for them to be led to Trask. Gilbert digs up Billy Butcherson, who has been alive since 1993, who is then tricked into helping Gilbert when, in fact, Gilbert needs help. Billy's head for the spell. The girls reconcile and trap the witches in Trask's garage using a salt circle. When the witches escape, they kidnap Cassie to use her blood in their spell. In the Forbidden Forest, Gilbert has collected all of the ingredients for the spell, and Becca finds that she is a witch with her own powers, but once Izzy and Cassie join her, their strength is unbreakable. Becca convinces Book to not aid in the Magikai Maxima spell, and the Book shows her a warning that it will cost Winifred what she loves the most in order to get all of her powers. Winifred does not listen to the warning, and when the spell is cast, she loses Mary and Sarah, so she begs the girls for help. The girls then cast a reunion spell, which does not bring Sarah and Mary back. Instead, it sends Winifred to them. She disappears as well as Billy Butcherson. They forgive Gilbert for what he has done, and they head home with Book in tow as a new coven. In what has become the new normal for Disney Entertainment, horrific CGI. I don't understand why. For a company with as much money as Disney, for a company that has been so groundbreaking in filmmaking as Disney, how they have seemingly just gone along with the gag that their CGI is not only bad, but it gets worse and worse with every attempt.
1: It feels like they've given up, in a way. Other than Marvel, everything, since, I would say, Beauty and the Beast 2017, if we're really looking to pinpoint it, has been terrible.
0: I don't understand how, I mean, and yes, it's Marvel, not Disney, but I don't understand how you have Marvel television shows and Star Wars television shows where the special effects and the CGI are better than what you're seeing in Disney films. Now, you could sit there and easily write this off as, well, right to Disney+, Plus, but that's not the case even the films that are getting released in theaters, the CGI is horrific. Like the bird that's flying in the beginning of this film, it looks like they didn't render it all the way or like a layer is missing because it looks like an animated character thrown on top of a live action setting and it's distracting.
1: I agree. And what's really disappointing about that is that the real charm of the original comes from all of the practical effects. They did do a lot practical here. Like they still had them flying and the actresses actually did it. I don't know about Bette Midler because she's getting up there in years, but I know that they actually put Kathy and Jimmy and Sarah Jessica Parker up there. Um, so it's really a shame that, they would default to something like that, especially for, I'm just going to come out and say it, a character that we don't even really need. Um, Let's get into it. Here we go. I have been waiting for this. I like that we started on a flashback. I think that that was a smart move to put a different twist on it uh, and show the Sanderson sisters as children. However... I think that the entire storyline with Mother Witch could have been scrapped because it feels like they shoehorned it in here just for the purpose of setting up the conflict of the sequel. What I would have much preferred, and I have thought long and hard about this because I'm not just going to say I don't like it and move on. I really took into account what they could have done and what I personally would have liked to see better. Is this the better option, the better idea? I don't know. But to me, what makes a successful prequel or sequel is when you stick to the source material that you've set up. We spent a lot of time in these past couple of weeks tearing apart the Mighty Ducks because D3 and Game Changers unraveled so much story that was established in the first two. And even with little throwaway lines, they managed to cover it up between D2 and the original. But for convenience, they would change things in the writing. And that gets very, very frustrating. And I feel like that's what they did here. Um, What I would have liked to see was the story of Billy Butcherson play out. We know that it's Winifred's 16th birthday. We know that that's when a witch gets her powers. I'm all about that what I really like is that they mention that the father has an alchemy book. So I would have liked to see Winifred start experimenting with the alchemy and perhaps trying to carry on her father's legacy. I would have liked to see her take his notes and his, I don't know if you want to call them recipes or, or potions as it were and, um, And make book out of her father's stuff. Because that's the other thing. Winifred never inherited this book. This was her book. And we made a big point of saying when we reviewed the original. That book followed her around like a loyal dog. So I would have liked to see her create that on her birthday. And then you've got this other story of Billy cheating with Sarah. What I would have loved to see was an established relationship between Winifred and Billy. She lost her father, so she is going to get married. And then he goes for Sarah. And maybe Winnie feels a little bit insecure and she tries to cast a beauty spell because that's her whole thing, right? I want to stay young and beautiful forever. Maybe that comes from she felt even worse about being cheated on because it was to her sister who is by. you know, conventional standards prettier than she is. And right. maybe that spell blows up in her face and that's how she ends up with the buck teeth.
0: You know, you're, you're not wrong about that. I think that there are a lot of ways that you could have played that. And, and I'll tell you something where I actually disagree is I like the introduction of Mother Witch because I like the fact that she says, I eat children, how else do I look this beautiful? What I like is that there was a lot of opportunity with that character that you know you you could have set her up as having this influence on the three of them specifically on winifred i mean to eat children for such a vain reason is pure evil but they're witches they're supposed to be evil I know I'm jumping to the end of the movie here, but I kind of find it impossible to not make this point without jumping to the end of the movie because this is where they start to plant the seeds. I like the backstory. But what I don't need is... I don't need a heartfelt backstory between Winifred and the other two. I don't need to feel bad for you. You are evil. And movies do this a lot where they try, and you've seen it in horror as well. Rob Zombie did it in his Halloween remake. We saw it in the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, where you take these horrific evil figures that are just scary for scary sake, and you try to make like these character stories, and like, this one's got mommy issues, and this one was misunderstood. I I don't need that in a horror film. I don't need it. In Hocus Pocus. I don't need it in a film about witches. Introducing Mother Witch and having Winifred cast out, you want to give the character an entitled moment? She had it when she did not go with the arranged marriage to John Pritchett. So you could have just had that and had evil Mother Witch influence these very young girls who were at their most vulnerable because they've been cast out of their home. They've run into the Forbidden Woods. Like, without having to try too hard, you wouldn't have had to do anything else and it would have just made sense and it would have worked just fine. I'll
1: give you that too because aside from being young and impressionable, they do say that the father passed and there's no mother to speak of. Right. So if the town has outcast them, yes, they would be gravitating towards something like that. And that's totally plausible. And I would have even preferred to see that and see Winnie have a type of mentor as opposed to just introducing this character for the sake of setting up the Magica Maxima spell.
0: Right. And I mean, everything seems like it's gearing that way because... In the next scene before we get to modern Salem, it, it, the flashback ends with Winifred burning down a reverend's home using a spell from book with Sarah and Mary. I mean, I understand we're not supposed to root for the reverend, but she burns his house down. Like she gets out her aggression and you can see the wheels start turning like, oh, I really can unleash chaos on this town. You, you didn't need anything else. Like, that was enough. But I think that they tried a little too hard to give us these heartfelt moments early on in the film that they tried to cash on in at the end. And I don't think that it's necessary when you're dealing with evil characters.
1: I would agree with that. I also feel like they were rushing to get Sarah, Mary, and Winifred, as we know them, back. Um, which is a shame because these young actresses nailed it. They were great. At certain points, I think they were a bit too on the nose, like the way that the actress playing Winnie, she's always got her hand on her chin. And that's something that like, I think Bette Midler brings to the performance when she's acting like she's bored with what everyone else is saying. And I I love that. But I think it was a little bit overdone here. But other than that, the girls just absolutely nailed it. Um, But I would have really liked to spend more time here. Um, I feel like the Reverend was introduced sort of unnecessarily. um, And that was also used to set up a plot point later in the sequel, as far as having um, Cassie's legacy tied back to Salem. Instead of this ridiculous John Pritchett narrative, I really wish that they had used the Reverend as the human embodiment of the Salem witch trials and leaned into the idea that he is forcing Winnie to get married and it would have made the Billy storyline land even harder now that he's going to go cheat with Sarah and Winnie's prospect at getting married is taken away. So now the reverend, the reverend's after her and pushing her to do it. And, That's how they end up becoming the outcasts is because she's not going to follow the norm. And now you are pulling the history of the trials into it is because half the time these women weren't actually practicing witchcraft. It was just because they weren't following the conventions of society at the time and they got killed for it.
0: Disney in 2022 well, is not going to tell that story. That's the other thing to your point. I think... Which means that, which, not to interrupt you, then this this should not exist. Don't, don't tell a period piece if you're not going to tell a period piece. You, you see what I'm saying?
1: Well, no, you're right. You made the point before. This is definitely watered down because I remember when we did our review of the original, we were talking about when... You see them. hey, I mean, you don't see them, but they play out the scene and they show the barrels being kicked out from underneath their feet. I they knew from forward. the jump we were not going to see anything like that in this film. And even to your point, they're talking about eating children, eating children, eating children. They talk about it a lot. There's not a lot of doing. There's no poison in this one. You see Emily Binks get poison. I know you love to rip her a new one because the dead child is moving
0: in the chair. But, but, but let's take the key phrase, dead child. You're B- never going to see that, it. yeah. They, like at least to the film's credit, to the original film's credit, and I did give it credit at the time, if I remember correctly, when there was time to go for it, they did. And here, you are getting a very watered down, for lack of a better term, Disney-fied, half-baked story because, oh, we can't do that now. Well, you kind of can because people, myself not included, love the original so much that they pounded the table for the sequel for 29 years. So obviously you did something right the first time. So why you would abandon everything that you've done right for so long? Well, Bob Chapek forget it forget you know what just forget it. that's low hanging fruit all right let's move on and get out of salem into salem we'll go to modern day salem here um they introduce the three new characters Cassie Izzy and Becca and i think they do it actually in a really good way i think that for the dialogue and it's very quick throwaway dialogue they do so much exposition here that I did not really need to see too much more to understand that the relationship was strained. And I think that it would have killed the pace of the movie and just made it kind of boring.
1: I would agree with that. Um, The only thing that I bump on a little bit is that Becca is our lead here. This is her story now. This is about her becoming a witch. I feel like she's not very likable out of the gate and she doesn't really do herself any favors by cursing Cassie's boyfriend right in front of Cassie although Cassie didn't do herself any favors either because she didn't stick up for her friends
0: I think this character is just such Gen Z and it's not it's it, like it's not a shot at the actress but like the fact that she's over it before it even gets started it, it's something that I don't think and I hate to date ourselves I don't think at our age it's something that we really get or connect with because we were not like that in the early 2000s and we're not used to seeing characters like that in film because you know especially your leads to your point you need to make them endearing your lead can't be over the movie before the movie's even started but I think that that's just a generational attitude thing that's happening now I can see where kids probably love her. I mean, I'll put it to you this way. I like her a lot more than the other people from the than the other leads from the original. I hated almost every character in the first movie. I don't like her attitude at first but she does grow on me as the movie goes on.
1: Yes, because she was able to carry the movie with a maturity. I just think she was too sarcastic in this setup to hook us right away of why we are supposed to care about you moving forward. Yeah, But otherwise, I think the story is very relatable, um, especially since you did away with, you know, in the first one, it's both Banks's and... Max's story that they are trying to protect their sisters they are their stories are running parallel which is juxtaposed against Winnie and her sisters who does not share the same feelings about saving them at all costs and as we are going to discuss that is something that gets unraveled in this film so you really did need to give us A big hook since it's not about a family member this time and I think that because they decided to focus it on these three girls they're at that perfect age this is such a relatable storyline and it was so smart what I really wish though is that because they brought the black flame candle back into play which I think is a huge mistake and we will get into that they must have said a virgin lit the candle a hundred times in the original. I think that they should have steered into that because it really would have driven the wedge between Cassie and Izzy and Becca even further. I think it's something very real that girls that age go through. But again, to your point, it's Disney. They're, they're never going to lean into a storyline like that.
0: No. They could, but it's Disney. They're not going to. Should they? I think it would have added an extra layer. I, I think it would have added a maturity that... Did the movie need it? Not necessarily, but it certainly would have... It would have added a layer to it that I think would have taken some people by surprise.
1: Especially because her father is so overbearing.
0: Exactly. Um, but... With all of that being said, um, when we do get the return of the Black Flame Candle, we do get what I thought was actually a well-placed virgin joke in a Sanderson (laughs) house that's now operating as a magic shop. Now, in the original film, um, the Sanderson sisters are a thing of legend. You would have assumed that that house would have been historically protected I had houses in my town on Long Island that were of no significance to anything but yet were historically protected because it would be like the first the first house built in town. It's historically protected. There's a swing set in the backyard and there's a satellite dish on top of it yet somehow it's historically protected. How the Sanderson sister home is now operating as a business instead of a museum that is protected is not something that would likely happen in real life.
1: Are you sure you don't love the first one? Because you're making some very good points here.
0: No, I I hate the first one with a passion, but it doesn't mean that I don't look at these things with common sense.
1: Well, no, this, this was a big issue for me. Um, you are absolutely right, with the exception of... Allison's mom used to run the museum and then it was closed down because a lot of spooky stuff was happening. So at the t- by the time they lit the candle, it was abandoned. They snuck in. Um, but you do make the point of Salem embraces their history in real life and in the movie world. Yeah. When we first meet Max... His teacher is telling the story of the Sanderson sisters. that that's, that's the thing. That first scene where they get hanged is actually a flashback because the teacher is telling that story. So they not only embrace their history, but the Sanderson sisters were revered. And you would think that that would continue, especially because they came back. So I don't buy for a second that this is a magic shop now. If anything, I would think the Salem or the Sanderson witch museum would be like Jurassic park. They came back, but you know what? We're going to lean into it and we're going to reopen the museum and we're going to sell t-shirts now.
0: Yeah. Instead they don't. It's a magic shop. Gilbert gives them a candle. They light it and the Sanderson's return. They do waste no time in getting the Sanderson's back. Um, which is what I was
1: saying before. I would have much rather spent more time in the flashback setting up how Winnie in particular became evil. I, I wouldn't have cared if it played like Wicked, honestly. If it, Even if it was derivative, I would have rather spent like all of Act One during their childhood.
0: Instead, we run to the finish line to get this half-baked musical number that nobody needs where they have rewritten the lyrics to The Bitch is Back by Elton John to sing The Witches Are Back because we're not going to be on the nose enough in this corn fest. Um, (laughs) Or at least that's how I perceived it in the beginning because that's the thing, right? For the first 15 minutes... The movie doesn't do itself a lot of favors to not really be super cheesy. Um, I don't know why we launch into a musical number in the middle of the woods. I don't know why they know the words to this Elton John song. Um, I don't know why they know the words to any of the songs that they sing, quite honestly. Um, But I know that for a lot of people who didn't like this movie, this is where it started falling apart for them because they felt like, we didn't need a cheesy musical number at the return of the Sanderson sisters. And it kind of just set an unsavory tone for the rest of the movie because I I know it's a comedy and I know that you're trying to embrace the hokiness and the cheesiness of the original, yet making it contemporary at the same time. You somehow find a way to fail at almost both of those things because you try too hard in both respects so it comes off as manufactured. Um... It just didn't work and it wasn't necessary that we jump into a musical number with them.
1: No, you hit it right on the head. I think that's it. We're so excited to see them back and we expect them to sing. So they pander to that immediately, but it is so unmotivated. Uh, I, I remember as soon as I heard the music, I was like, wait, are they are they singing? We're going right to a musical. I was very confused. And I started getting a little upset because this is where it started losing me. But they do sort of make up for it when they call it out and they're like, wait, who are they singing to? And they smash cut to Sarah Jessica Parker. It is such a good edit and something that we didn't see a lot of in the original. There's hardly any jump scares, but they give us one here and I liked it.
0: Yeah, and I like the practical sets here. I think that the set in the woods was really good. Uh, I like the big full moon in the back. I bought it. You can tell that it's on a back lot. It has to be. But it looks like they're shooting a movie. It, You know, the, like it's become such a Disney thing where they just do everything in front of a green screen. If they did, then somehow they pulled off the best effect in the damn movie because this looks like a practical set to me and I think it looks awesome.
1: I know that they shot on a farm in Rhode Island, but I believe that's where they set up Old Salem, and that was where the flashback was done. Uh, I'm not sure if this was on location in the woods, because they, they did shoot, I think, in the fall, too, so it was cold. And, and in any um, behind-the-scenes photos I've seen, they did have like heavy coats over their costumes.
0: Yeah. Noteworthy. Not a, not a frame of this film was shot in Salem, by the way. Not a single frame.
1: You can't, though. I mean, given the time of year that they were filming, Salem is a zoo now during Halloween. I mean, I've gone during Halloween, but I was in high school at the time. And it was it was pretty crazy then. But with social media now, it's like going to Disney for Christmas. I want to dial it back, though, to the candle, because aside from the fact that we have seen this play out already, what happens when a virgin lights the candle? That was Winifred's curse when she was hanged. It was that they would come back on Halloween and they would have to suck the souls out of children before sunrise in order to stay alive. And they did not get one child thanks to Max, Allison, and Binks. They saved Danny. So since that caused them to turn to stone and blow up, I think we can safely assume that that curse was broken so I just wish that there was another curse or another object that would summon them back almost like and I hate to make this comparison because it, it is going to sound a little bit derivative but almost like Voldemort in Harry Potter. Now, you may not know this, but... I don't know
0: what the hell you're talking (laughs) about right now.
1: In Harry Potter, the reason that Voldemort keeps coming back is because he broke off pieces of his soul and put them in objects. In Harry Potter world, it's called a horcrux.
0: Of course it is.
1: And through the seven books, Harry goes and he finds all of them and destroys them. So my point is, if the Sanderson home was open as a museum instead of a stupid magic shop, you could have had other objects that Winnie had bewitched and ways that they were unknowingly brought back instead of the
0: candle. Oh, you mean like the Sanderson sisters hourglass that pops up later in the film that apparently has all of this, and I'm jumping here. Uh, I didn't even have this as a note quite honestly, but I'm only realizing it now. Uh, The hourglass that apparently has like all of this meaning to the Sanderson sisters, yet we've never seen it before. Yeah, that one. Yeah.
1: I think that's a wink and a nod to The Wizard of Oz, and they didn't think it through more than that.
0: Okay. I'm glad that you bring that up. I want to float this out here now. Again, and I'm kind of jumping towards the end of the movie. I don't care at this point.
1: I don't think there's any other way to do this, because this is falling victim to... You unraveled what you established in the first film. but
0: But specifically about The Wizard of Oz... Why do so many lines in this movie sound like they're ripped off from The Wizard of Oz?
1: Oh, I didn't think that.
0: There's is Isn't there not a, a part in the film where you get come out, come out, wherever you are? You get that in this movie. It's, it's said just like it's said in The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, but that's Glinda. But... But it doesn't matter. What well, is Glinda from The Wizard of Oz? She's singing. Okay, but is that she... set in this movie?
1: Well, Glinda is singing to bring the munchkins out. If, if, one of the, if one of the sisters is calling to the kids, it's a little bit different. There's a totally different
0: context. They sing it the exact same way. And there was another line towards the end of the movie. I don't recall exactly what it was. I'm hoping it comes back to me. But I remember hearing... It's something that Winifred says... And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's what Dorothy says to Auntie M at the end of The Wizard of Oz. If it's not the exact wording of it, it sounds just like it. But I didn't know if, you know, you being such a fan of The Wizard of Oz, if it stood out to you that there were just a couple of lines in this movie that sound like they were pulled right from that screenplay.
1: I didn't think that at all. And I, I'm not trying to defend, this isn't me loving Hocus Pocus and defending it. Um, I just honestly didn't catch anything. And I think they did a couple of those types of things in the first one, but it, that's the thing. It's more overt when you're trying to pay homage to the f- original or, or to, you know, in this case, The Wizard of Oz, not the original. But usually they'll call to it a little bit more.
0: Right. But, all right, are you ready to move on here? Uh, to Walgreens. To Walgreens.
1: This is where it redeemed itself for me as far as the musical number. This I thought hysterical. this whole scene was brilliant. The comedy was on point. And as far as the chemistry between the three of them, I was like, okay, this is why you do a sequel.
0: I thought that this entire thing was funny. I think that they're fish out of water. I think it still worked. Yeah, I actually thought that Kathy and Jimmy who I really didn't like in the first film at all. I found her to be legitimately funny here because there's no nice way to say this, they dialed back on Mary's stupidity. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I understand that movie was very much a film of the 90s and slapstick in the 90s, like the 90s made a lot of dumb movies. I mean, Carpool exists in the 1990s. So like th- you know, th- these films it was—it's very much a product of its time, but so was *Dumb and Dumber* and *Ace Ventura*. But they did it very differently. They were still very funny, and they were very—they um they were like the 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 comedical or the you know the, the comedical timing of it, the comedic timing, I should say was spot on. And that was something that was missing in the first Hocus Pocus film. So I think that the fact that they dialed back on Mary's stupidity and just made her very witty and observant made for a much better character. That stood out to me the minute that she says, soups up and we have her in Walgreens
1: um yeah for me i mean from the time that they walk through the automatic doors i kind of went huh that's clever because it's not something that we saw in the first one right you know part of it to your point was that fish out of water they didn't know what a car was they didn't know even the sprinkler system they bought everything max said because they didn't know um so to be able to retread that and not have it have the bit get old I thought that was really successful and then they just one-up it when they're talking about the souls being in these beauty products I love the social commentary that the beauty industry is soul-sucking um and when Mary picks up the mask it's the skin of a child it's hysterical it's fantastic um I'm glad you bring up that point though uh, that they didn't dumb her down as much because I noticed that a lot with Sarah. And I think that a lot of that comes from Bette Midler. I mean, she is still legendary, but she was the big name of the original. Sarah Jessica Parker, I mean, she was not Carrie Bradshaw yet. Um, and Kathy Jimmy had a pretty successful stand-up career, but she wasn't doing much other than this film. So I think part of that was writing... Towards more established actresses now, right? And you have to give Kathy and Jimmy and Sarah Jessica Parker their due, and and give them a little bit more to sink their teeth into.
0: Yeah, and I thought that it was also great that they brought in the what was it the Snapchat filters, and they thought that the potions were working. Th- like so funny the comedy in this scene in particular. And I, and I think that it does set the table for all around just better comedy and funnier screenwriting and funnier dialogue throughout the entire film. Funnier than I think we got in the first movie, at least.
1: See, and that's interesting because I think they burnt through all their gas in this scene.
0: Um, I think a majority of the comedy that you will remember after watching it comes from this scene. But I think that the dialogue throughout does remain kind of funny. I have some notes as we dissect it, as the film goes on, that I think points out either funny dialogue or funny narrative or just something in general that made me chuckle as the movie went on. But yes, this is the scene... Like, if you asked me tomorrow, for example hey, what's the funniest thing in Hocus Pocus 2? I'm immediately going to say the Snapchat filters.
1: For sure. Dialogue, yes, I will give you. I, I think there are some funny lines peppered in throughout the rest of it, but I think as far as like this sitcommy situation that they've put them in, this is the funniest scene, hands down.
0: Yes. Once we get out of Walgreens, we then get back with Gilbert, who has admitted that he set the girls up.
1: Okay. I I need to, I, I can't hold this one back anymore. Gilbert is a selfish imbecile. And aside from the storyline being that a fanboy bought them back, that's impossible because Gilbert would have been brainwashed under Sarah's spell just like the rest of the children of Salem. This whole thing falls apart right here.
0: I just don't understand why he is continually surprised when evil does evil things. Like, what did he think was going to happen? Right. Um, And I think that's the failure of him. Like, I would have been 100% good if he would have ended up being an antagonist for the rest of the film, and he baited these girls. Like, he would have been such a better character. The, (laughs) I got bullied... Yeah, that would have been weak sauce. But if he would have been doing to Salem what the Sanderson's were trying to do to Salem by using the Sanderson's... If he was taking out his aggression on the children of the people that bullied him by having the Sanderson's go after their kids because that's how the generational gap would have worked... He would have been a much more diabolical character. Instead, he's just a doofus.
1: Right, like make him the big bad. And then I would have bought him planting this birthday gift a little bit more because there was an ulterior motive instead of... I just wanted to see them again.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: The the fanboy worship, it's just not enough of a reason to bring them back. What I also would have preferred is if there was a descendant from the first film that was still in town trying to work against Gilbert, trying to thwart him, uh, or just some tie to the original. Do I think that Max and Allison ended up together? No, probably not. But I would have even taken to your point, he's talking about the bullies
0: that stole his candy. That is a
1: direct nod to Jay and Ice. But it's believable though, right? Do you, do? would you buy that they're anything but townies? No, I think that they're still around Salem. So I would, because they were hanging from cages in the museum, first of all, we never even knew how they got out. As far as I'm concerned, they're still there when Gilbert opens his shop. I would have much preferred seeing them try and prevent anyone from doing anything that would ever bring the Sanderson's back. Or it would have given them more of a cause to open up a shop in that building to protect it.
0: I'll be honest with you. I think one of my favorite things about this movie is that outs- outside of the Sanderson sisters, we've completely disowned the entire cast of the original. I hated the entire cast of that f- of the original film so much.
1: You make that abundantly
0: clear every time we I watch it. I was so happy we didn't have to suffer through any of them again.
1: Well, I will also give you that one. For as much as I love the first one, and, and I did say this in our review, they are archetypes. All of them are archetypes. They don't have... They, they're not fully fleshed out characters. That falls victims to 90s writing.
0: Right. Um, so the Sanderson's send uh, Gilbert out to go collect the rest of the ingredients while... The girls kind of just keep running away and the Sanderson's go, let's go to town and entrant people again. Um, Why is Billy Butcherson alive? Why is he still alive? This one gets
1: a big old pass from me because you can never have too much Billy B. But why is he alive?
0: Because you see him fall into the grave at the end of the film and seemingly... Binks is not a cat anymore. He goes to heaven with Emily. He crosses over. Right? Like, I thought we were done with this. Billy goes, I was never put back to sleep. Well, we saw you fall back to sleep. So instead, you fell into a grave. And somebody buried you again. I guess it was Max and Allison. Although you weren't dead you were alive so they just buried you alive or you buried yourself alive why has he been alive just laying under the dirt since 1993
1: I will buy the notion of a shallow grave but you're absolutely right this goes back to the spell was broken they turned to dust and all of the other curses followed suit Billy included you know the the parents woke up from the trance so did the children of Salem Uh, as you said uh, not only did Binks cross over but he was reunited with Emily so Billy totally falls under all of this what I really don't like is this redemption story of we only kissed once no Winifred was a scorned lover you had a much deeper relationship than that so I really didn't like that running joke but At the same time, I can't get enough of this character. And maybe that's because in the first one, Billy was such a formative thing for me because really I was I I told the story when we reviewed the original. I was so terrified of him as a kid. And when I saw the making of Hocus Pocus and realized that somebody created something with their own two hands that scared me so much and an actor performed it that is when the light bulb turned on that I wanted to go into film. I would probably not have a career in television today, if not for watching this movie and if not for this character. And I'm going to tell Doug Jones that when we meet him at House of Mouse Expo.
0: I'm I'm going to sound like a psycho. I'm sure that he will appreciate, I'm going to do it. I
1: guarantee you nobody has ever said that to him before.
0: I mean, I'm not going to say, I probably won't say anything to any of them. Uh, (laughs)
1: Well, if you don't have anything nice to say.
0: What am I going to say to Jay and Ice? You two look like you drown in a shower. Like, (laughs) What am I going to say to them?
1: We really have to get you on board with this movie. But um, if anyone else is interested, we will be posting more information about House of Mouse Expo because it's a really great event held uh, in, I believe, January in Kissimmee.
0: Um, I'm looking forward. Hosted
1: to by Main Street Mouse, and she's got a lot of talent that she's bringing. Even the bus driver from the first oh, one. No. I bet you can't wait to meet him. Well, what else
0: was he doing, other than driving <laughs> a real bus? Um, we get now to the fall festival because we're just rushing through. We're, we're rushing through scenes so that we can put the Sandersons back on stage again, so that they can sing a Blondie song.
1: And they're just shoving more halloween the bobbing for apples all of it it's just how much halloween can we cram in a scene here
0: right and and i in the first film it works that they're so horrified that halloween has become a thing where kids dress up as demons and get candy right and what no i'm not saying it so yes you are i'm not
1: i will not say another thing until you say it i did it the last time
0: i guess i'm running the show at this point you're running what the show so come on nope so um you know they they rush them into the fall festival now the sandersons know what to expect they lose their own costume contest which within itself was pretty funny
1: i wish that they had planted this contest earlier instead they've got Cassie's dad obsessing over his candy apples. Yes,
0: yeah. And he's why? So
1: dumb. I'm sorry, but what a simp character they made.
0: I know I don't understand why he cares so much about this candy apple. They never explain why he cares about the damn candy apple so much.
1: I would buy it more if he was like possessed or something, but he's just so obsessed with it. They dumb down what would have otherwise or could have been
0: a really solid character. Yeah, because I like Tony Hale. I liked him in the dual role.
1: Right, and he's he's only got one focus through this whole thing. So by the time, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, he tries to discipline Cassie for having this party. I don't buy it. I mean, like, of course, you're involved in her life because You do run into her friends. You're asking them questions. You're following up with them. You know it's Becca's birthday. So, like, they've established that he's a very involved father. But because the sole focus has been this stupid apple, I just don't buy, you know, the disciplinarian parent. It's
0: it's a running joke that fails the first time.
1: Right. But anyway, I wish that they had alluded to this contest earlier on because then it would have also solved the problem of the town being so Halloween-crazed and Sanderson-crazed just by a throwaway line in the beginning.
0: It would have. But we do it so that we can get them on stage to so that they can sing One Way or Another by Blondie, which actually I think was the proper use for that song in that scene. Um, I just don't understand why we needed it. I'm... I don't understand... I understand. I get that you cast Bette Midler, but I don't understand why you need to like force feed us these musical numbers.
1: Well, because that's how she casts her spells. In the first one, I put a spell on you is not just a catchy number; it is so no, that I, I the remember. parents stay locked in the town hall while they wreak havoc. Yes,
0: dance until you die.
1: So she needs them now to lead them to
0: to Trask. Yes. She wants to be led to the home. Even though Trask has been at this festival, Trask didn't go anywhere other than to go yell at Cassie and break up a party, but he's been in that festival like basically the whole time. Right. He wouldn't have been hard to miss.
1: I'm sorry, but is there another song? I don't mean this disrespectfully to Blondie. I love that song, but we have seen one way or another so many times in films maybe maybe you'll sell it cheap that's what i was saying maybe it's just cheap to get the rights to it but we've seen it in coyote ugly we've seen it in rugrats for crying out loud when angelica loses cynthia is there not another song that we can do with all that being said though i do like the arrangement i like you know the stomping and the step dancing the flash mob quality that they give it um even, even just the way that they shot it when the girls are up on stage and you know they're showing them jumping around, uh, with the reverse shot where you see the audience, it's it's really well put together. But I was like, my God, is there another song?
0: Apparently, there's not. But there is a village idiot, which basically leaves the song uh, obsolete. That was a great line when Winifred says, "What what luck that we found the village idiot," and it's Cassie's boyfriend Mike who they chase right to Trask's home.
1: I mean, he really is the village idiot, right? He doesn't even know that he's making fun of people and he's like, I thought I was just making conversation. You dumbed him down as bad as Jay and Ernie. Yeah,
0: well, because that's that's how the villains in these films are, whether it's the first one or the second one. You don't buy them as villains. They're not intelligent enough to outsmart anybody. It's just that everybody else around them is dumber than they are realistically that's that's what they lean on with the villains in these two films
1: i wouldn't call him a villain though i would call him the bully but really he hasn't done anything that bad i mean he kind of does make fun of becca to her face in school a little bit but he doesn't say anything too mean or too over the top we've already we already have it out for this guy because he broke up a friendship
0: I mean, in his defense, she is a girl that actively practices witchcraft and doesn't really hide it. So, I mean, in reality, he basically just calls her out for doing weird stuff. So he's basically just saying what she does in her free time.
1: It would have been a lot more effective if instead of putting everything on Becca and I, I can't even say making fun of it, teasing her for it. Because he knows that that was at one point Cassie's friend. So he doesn't take it too far. It would have been more effective to see a conversation with Cassie where he's like, hey, you're 16 now. You have a boyfriend. I'm on the football team. Or is that a Halloween costume? No, I think he's on the football. He's Whatever. He's
0: actually on. It doesn't matter.
1: It, it Stereotypical jock. They didn't flesh him out more than that. Um, it would have been more effective to see him try to cause that rift between Cassie and Becca and say, you know, it's time to grow up now. You can't keep hanging out with them. People think they're weird. What about your image? Blah, blah, blah.
0: Right. Um, And then Trask ends up back down at the festival where the Sanderson's are not. um, And he loses his candy apple and he gets all upset about it, and the candy apple woman is just gone. Like, she kind of just disappears. Like, in the 25 seconds from the time he gets it to the time he realizes it's gone, she's just disappeared now.
1: But you know who does appear? In my favorite Easter egg in this whole film, uh, he asked a couple to hold his place in line, which is a hat tip to Penny and Gary Marshall, because they're dressed as the devil, and as Mary calls her, Medusa with the curlers in her hair. I love it.
0: I absolutely love it. Back at Trask's house, the Sanderson's have now been caught in his garage with the salt circle, and he comes back with his candy apple that he bought at Walgreens, and he's upset about it, and... Because the lights went out at Walgreens. and the, but But that's not even the most egregious thing about this. They're just gonna leave these three women in the garage. Like, he doesn't even, like wonder like where are they going why aren't they leaving my garage how am i going to get them out of my garage why he, is
1: my daughter partying with people almost three times her age he
0: kind of just leaves them there and was gonna like go inside and eat his candy apple like we're just gonna leave them in the garage because this is the
1: it. worst night of his life
0: i'd love to trade places with them yeah for really for an hour if that's the worst night of his life but the whole thing does Become very funny when you have the Roombies because of course Sarah rides the vacuum. Or sorry, Swiffle. Mary Mary rides the vacuum in the first film because they don't have enough brooms. Right. So now she's riding on the the Roombies, which are like Roomba's, and she's wearing them like the rollerblades. So these things come and just suck up the salt, and then they're able to escape the circle. That I thought was very funny.
1: I did too. And that's also, again, where the bit doesn't get tired of them being a fish out of water and not knowing what this modern technology is. Uh, I thought that was smart, but they sort of regressed Winnie a little bit because when they first enter the reverend's house, they're confused by Alexa. And in the original, when they go to the library and they trap them in the kiln, or I'm sorry, when they go to the school, uh, they use the intercom system and Winifred is not confused by a disembodied voice at that point. She follows it. Right. So it's a funny line when Mary's like, oh, there's a woman trapped in there. It's it's a great bit for that, but I don't buy it from Winnie to be confused.
0: Um, I do dig the idea that we have a new witch, though. And you start to see it a little bit in the garage. Um But it starts to play out more and more as we get towards the end of the film here, um, as we're heading back into the Forbidden Forest because uh, now Cassie has been snatched by Winifred um, because she's not going to get her father's blood. She can just take Cassie's because it's the same blood. She is a Trask. Um, I do dig the idea that we do have a new witch coming and that witchcraft is still a thing, even in 2022.
1: I agree but the way that they land this plane as far as, and I don't want to jump too far ahead but while we're while we're on it as far as have Winnie having to trade what she loves most to become all powerful I almost wish that her coming back had happened earlier in the movie and she made that trade earlier on and then learns that she really does need Mary and Sarah and maybe had to get Becca on her side to help bring them back. And that's Winnie's full arc instead of what happens now where there's this battle between the two covens and Winnie has to make the trade because at the very end of the first one, she tells Max, you're a fool to give up your life for your sister. She believed it then. That was her whole arc in the first film, and and it's just completely erased in the final act of this one.
0: Because it's 2022. It's the same reason why her sister's not going to cheat on her with a real boyfriend. That's the thing. It's not a scorn lover anymore because you don't want to have a film in 2022 that Disney made where a where a sister cheats on another sister. They're they're doing everything they can with bubblegum and unicorns and puppies and kittens because this film didn't want to go for it the way the first one did.
1: Well, I mean, that's it. It's anti-feminist, right? To not support your sister.
0: Well, it's, it's not, but I'm not even looking at it from that standpoint. I'm looking at it as you've just watered down the entire story because we can't make that story. We can't, we're Disney, we can't, we can't do that. Well, then don't make a sequel. You see what I'm saying? Th- this goes back to the point of if you're not going to tell the story, don't tell the story. Don't make a sequel if you don't have the guts to do it the right way. To the first film's credit, and I said it before, and I said it when we reviewed it the first time, when they wanted to go for it, they weren't afraid to go for it. Right. So I, I think that, frankly, you're softening evil characters because you have to, but we're, we're seeing them do this in in backstory. I don't need to know why... I don't need to see Cruella Deville as a soft character now i liked that film but i my problem with that film was how did we get her from the end of the film to where she is in 101 dalmatians well there's a half a billion dollars left at the box office to solve that problem now isn't there <laughs> um you know i just when you try to humanize evil it uh, it just fails but this is not just disney this is cinema in general but Disney really has started to lean into it and like the in, in the, we're just gonna put ice packs on everything and we're gonna fix it. We're gonna fix it, right? That's just what Disney's doing. It's what they've done for a long time. I honestly feel like that's where they gave Winifred this arc in this film where now she loves her sisters and she would never sacrifice her. We're gonna undo everything we did in the old movie. well, because that was 1993. and we're 2022. We have to do it better. I I didn't like it either, and that was the first thing that stood out to me. Um, But I I honestly think that the biggest problems that you're going to find with this film is because 2022. I honestly think most of the problems with this movie, where they soften the movie to the point where you just don't take it seriously, the answer is because 2022.
1: No, and if you're going to bother to do all of that, you want to soften it. I'm not going to say, okay, fine. But being that you did this, don't send Winnie to them. Then make her learn her lesson, make her have to live without them. Now, even though I don't buy that. That's what she believes.
0: Right. Even book, right? Book to your point that you had made when we reviewed the first and you brought it up before follows Winnie around like a very loyal dog. It's got a human eye If I remember correctly, wasn't it... I think it was made from human skin because I said it's basically the book of the dead from Evil Dead. So we're ripping You were very upset about that. Um, Since when does it have a moral compass?
1: Yes. And even so much personification where it's on the shelf and it's sweating when Becca finds it. So that's the other thing. It doesn't want Becca to find him. It bucks her off when she tries to take him. And then all of a sudden... At the end, she's like, you have a choice in this. And then he's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll take it.
0: For 400 years, I didn't realize I had a choice.
1: And that's why, again, I wish that we had seen this set up as Winifred's book, not something that she inherited.
0: But even if... I don't care that it's something she inherited. She inherited something evil from an evil person. The, this I'm I'm going to repeat myself because we keep going back to the same thing. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's the same... It's the same thing that kind of ultimately undoes the entire character. You know, whether I like Hocus Pocus or not doesn't change the fact that the Sanderson's have become an icon. Not just in Disney, but also in pop culture. When you undo the head of that trio... You know, it's just a big miss. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think the characters are better all around here because, like, I feel bad for Mary and Sarah. They were the butt end of the joke in the first film, and they were the butt end of bad jokes in the first film. And you actually gave them a little bit more of a purpose, and you made them more likable in this film. And the fact that her selfishness caused them to disappear, I now feel bad for them. But I'm not supposed to feel bad for Winifred.
1: Right, and they did start to question Winnie's leadership. I think a lot of that, like I said, is that back then Sarah Jessica Parker was just starting off in her career and now, you know for as much as they were all gung ho like yes we want to do the sequel we're excited to come back and you know you see all the interviews after they made the film where it's we fell right back into it da, da 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 I don't think for a second that Sarah Jessica Parker did not negotiate more money and more lines for herself because she's a much more established actress now um so they did have her question Winnie um Winnie at the towards the end before uh you know she trades Mary and Sarah in she commands Sarah to do something and Sarah's like, no, I, I forget the exact line, but I'm it's a something good, loyal
0: sister. Yes. And, and I am not just as this, that and the other thing. Yeah. In other
1: words, I demand to be treated with respect and she has her moment. And then when he's like, go do it. And then she's like, okay, okay. So you started getting there and I really think it was for no other reason than to give Sarah Jessica Parker more lines than it actually was to give Sarah the character an arc.
0: And 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 let me back up to one other thing before we get to the very end of the film here. Even when we see them as children, neither Mary nor Sarah, or are like as uh, you know foolish, or, or or childish or mousy as they are in the first film. Yeah, They're just not again. There's no nice word for it. They're not dumb, like they are in the first film, even as children. So you kind of have this weird, you know, that they they, they they were smart and caring sisters who become completely stupid in the first film, who then go back to kind of just being like caring sisters who are over Winifred by the end of this film. Like it's you go from one end to the other end and then back to where you started. And it's, it's kind of just odd.
1: And again, that's where I wish that we had spent more time in the flashback of Salem to when they were children where Winnie starts to realize her power and she wants to use it for evil and the two of them are, are scared of her now so they're not going to voice their concerns. They're, they're just going to sit back and let her do what she's going to do. Then that's more of a connection to the two of them being dumbed down in the original film and why they're so submissive now.
0: And then we kind of just forgive Gilbert for all that he did. We just forgive him quickly for a 10% discount at the store.
1: Even this like buddy-buddy storyline that they tried to build with him and Billy, it's not a subplot. It, no, I'm I'm it's not even a solid subplot. You can't even call it a subplot. I mean, he tricks Billy into helping him uh gather all the ingredients. There's a funny jump scare where Billy finds one of the plants that they need and he's like, ah. Um but that's about all it's good for. You know, the whole thing in the first one is that Billy has to prove he's a good zombie and he's gonna help the kids because he hates Winnie so much. So Once he realized that once he realizes now that Gilbert is up to no good, he's not very willing to help him. And then Gilbert rips his head off and that's it. You know, there's no uh, there's no bond there like there could have been.
0: Right. Okay. let's start talking about the cast here. Um, I'm just going to go talk about the handful of new characters that we have. Um,
1: Well, no, I think we should still talk about the Sanderson sisters because You, Kathy and Jimmy especially, you lambasted Mary. And you said now that they're developing them a little bit more, you found her more funny. I I think we should talk about all of them individually.
0: Okay, so we'll start with Bette Midler as Winifred Sanderson, who completely becomes undone in this film.
1: I agree. I hate that they regress the character, but at the same time, I mean... Her performance is still
0: just spectacular. I mean, she gives it everything. She's, still, she's good, right? She's good in the film. No one's going to say that she's not. But, um, and, and I mean, I don't care for the first one, so I don't have like this, like, how could you do this? But just from a film perspective, from a fan perspective, and looking at it with a critical eye, I just don't understand what you gained from hitting the rewind on her. I, I just don't I I don't understand why you did
1: it. Well, I guess that's the whole question, right? Is was it worth doing this just to see this performance again?
0: I'd say I would say no. If this is ultimately what you wanted to do, you probably didn't need to do it. I I don't I don't like when films completely undo their predecessors. And I'm not going to repeat again, evil for evil's sake stop humanizing evil. You don't need to do it. The minute you humanize them, they're not evil anymore. I'm getting tired of this this. Honestly, this is becoming its own trope. Yeah. Realistically, it's becoming its own trope. I don't think we need it anymore. Sarah Jessica Parker as Sarah Sanderson, I found her a lot more tolerable because she wasn't just... I mean, she was still the butt end of some of the jokes, like, with the whole spread out thing. Like, that was the stuff that I laughed at where I thought, okay, this is good. She's not just stupid for the sake of being stupid like she was in the first film.
1: Right. Um, I think they toned down the dumb blonde part of the character. Um, Like I said, they definitely gave her more lines. Uh, They tried to give her a little bit of an arc. Um but but i love how she plays sarah too i i think there's this one moment uh during one way or another she does like this little dance move it's very hard to explain without seeing it uh but it's during the first chorus and I, she just gives such a nuanced performance and really she does in the first one too um i think it's just so much more nuanced than people give her credit for because she is playing a ditzy character.
0: Kathy Najimy back as Mary Sanderson. Again, far more likable for me in this film than she was in the first. I thought
1: it was interesting, too, how they sort of made her straddle the line, and it almost felt like she was picking sides between Winnie and Sarah at certain points, where she was always... In Winnie's Corner, she would always put Sarah down in the original. She was always more Winnie's sidekick because Sarah's only function was really to lure the children with her song. Um, So I don't like that they removed that aspect of the two of them being so tight, but I thought it was interesting that they tried to explore something else with her.
0: Doug Jones is back as Billy, uh, Billy Butcherson. I liked seeing Billy Butcherson back. I like that we tried to incorporate him in the story more, but I agree with you. I think the subplot with Gilbert just fell flat because, yeah, really, it it's because of Gilbert. Gilbert's the reason why the subplot fell flat.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I said it before. I love seeing Billy back. I'm glad that they got Doug Jones back and they didn't just recast it. Not that there's any reason that they would have, but, um. I like that he got to reprise, I, I dare say, an iconic role, and not just because of what it means to me. Um, what I really don't like, aside from the failed buddy subplot with Gilbert, uh, I had said it earlier, is the well, it was just one kiss with Winnie, and... Um, I like the idea that he wants his truth to be told, but I wish there was a little bit more to it than that. I really wish that it was because he realized that, you know, that he was with Winnie, that they did have a solid relationship and he saw that she was turning and that this was going to a bad place. And maybe he tried to stop her. And that's why he fell for Sarah because she was trying to be a good witch. I think that would have been worth exploring, and that's a story worth telling if you're trying to put his truth out there.
0: You have Sam Richardson as Gilbert. It's nothing against Sam Richardson, but this this character just... It, it fails as a foil. It fails as an antagonist. Um, there was so much potential. We talked about it earlier, what you could have done with this character, and I think that it just totally falls flat.
1: The character is awful, but the performance is great. It's very subtle, but um, in instances like where they go to question Gilbert about the candle and they were like, well, why didn't you just light it? And he just gives him a look. Uh, there's a lot of little facial expressions like that in this performance that make it very good. Uh, did they redeem the character? No, I still hate him. I still think that Gilbert's an imbecile and a fanboy, but... Definitely not an attack on the actor.
0: Whitney Peake plays Becca. Um, I said she's so Gen Z at the beginning of the film um, to the point where you it, it took some time to warm up to her. But once you do, um, I think that she definitely carried the film and she's a character that I was rooting for throughout the film. And when she did get her witch powers, I was excited for her. And it actually made me excited to see what else this character could possibly do should they, (laughs) should, will they, and when they uh, eventually continue this franchise. Um, I'd like to see more of her.
1: I agree. Uh, I really like when she started believing in herself and her own power. What I wish there was a little bit more of was... I, I think what made the first one so funny where they try and outsmart them like they did it in Walgreens. Yes, they form the circle of salt, but there wasn't as much duping the witches as the first one. And I think you lost a lot of the humor in that. And a lot of that comes from your lead character. So I think they could have written Becca as a little bit more a, a little bit closer to Max and some of the things that he did.
0: Belissa Escobedo plays Izzy, and I thought that she worked as a sidekick. Um, I think that her comedic timing was actually very good. Um, I liked the two of them together. Yeah. Um, I thought they had great chemistry, and you could tell that she was having a ton of fun in this role with this character.
1: I agree. I think she's my scene stealer for this film.
0: Yeah. Uh, Lilia Buckingham plays Cassie. Um, You know... She played her fine. Um, It's not a shot at the actress at all. Um, But this is a character that... There's just nothing special about this character. She could have been any character in this movie. Um, I wish they would have done a little bit more with her to flesh her out. Um, Perhaps some flashbacks of seeing them as kids... You know, and again, I I know Disney doesn't want to do, because it sounds mean, the quote-unquote ugly duckling thing anymore, even though they called Michelle Trachtenberg an ugly duckling on Disney+, Plus uh, when they described the Ice Princess. Um, If they would have done something like that with her, where she became... As she got older and she got into high school, she became the popular girl. She's dating the quarterback of the football team. She ditched her weird witchy friends. Like, I wish we would have seen a little bit more of that play out. Like I said, uh, the exposition through dialogue was a great way to keep the story moving without burning a ton of screen time and killing the pace. But I wish we would have seen a little bit more out of the character because i think the character could have been anybody
1: i agree with that but i disagree on the cinderella story aspect of it i think that that would have gotten a little bit tropey um but i think that they missed the mark by really not leaning into what this relationship means for Cassie, what she's giving up with her friend. We see it from Becca and Izzy's point of view, but you don't pit Cassie in the middle enough. Like they do in the scene in school where, uh, Becca and her boyfriend get, get busted and sent to the principal's office. And Cassie has the opportunity to stick up for Becca and she doesn't. So you see that she is going to side with her boyfriend no matter what, but like, you don't see the conflict or the internal struggle that she's dealing with that this guy cost me my friends instead it's oh I didn't know you felt that way I think we could have done more with that and I think that they could have written Cassie a little bit more just even a couple of quick lines standing up to Becca of like why can't you be happy for me that you know we were always the ones getting picked on because we went to go do your birthday ritual out in the woods. And, you know, I did have a guy take interest in me because it is, it, it's such a relatable thing that young girls go through with a first boyfriend where you have that group and, and one of the girls veers off. It happened to all of us. um, So I, I think you could have just rounded out the character a little bit more with just a little bit more writing to that part of it.
0: Right. Uh, Tony Hale plays Mayor Trask. Again, I liked him in the dual role. I liked him more as the reverend than I did as the mayor because the candy apple thing went nowhere. But I just wish we would have done a little bit more with that character. Like, had he had some disdain for the Sanderson's because that was his family's tradition and maybe that's why the, the house is not protected and now it operates as a retail shop because... He didn't protect it because he doesn't want their legacy in the town. You know what I'm saying? Like you could have done so much more with that character and they kind of just leaned on this really bad joke that wasn't ever really funny with this candy apple.
1: Right. Like why isn't he a judge on the on the contest committee?
0: I don't know. It's his festival. He's got the sweater and all that, but he's because he's concerned with the stupid candy apple. It just, there's so much more you could have done and they just, they totally missed the mark with the character.
1: No, and I, I, they made him stupid. There's no other way to say it.
0: Yeah. Um, final thoughts on Hocus Pocus 2. I tell you what, I'll go first because I feel like you're going to have a lot more to say than I am. For all of the reasons why I dislike the first film, I like this movie. I'm in the minority of people that actually prefer this to the first. I'm not gonna say that this is a great movie. They do a lot of things wrong. They undo a lot of the characters in this movie. Um, but I think that I think that this is a good this is at least a good movie. It's not great. This is at least a good movie. It's better than passable. and I think that comes from comedy being funny. Um, do I think that this is as soft as, you know, soft serve ice cream? I sure do. Um, I, I wish that they hadn't gotten away from the things that were successful in the first film. I wish that they would have leaned into it a little bit more. Um, but 2022, we're not going to do that. Um, I I think that undoing the characters is the biggest problem. But as far as comedy goes, I far prefer the comedy in this than I do in the first. So still don't like the first. I don't think that's going to change this Sunday, although it's going to be on film for all of you to see and interact with. So I guess we're going to try it again. Uh, Between the two, I prefer this one.
1: That is shocking to me. (laughs) I mean, well, no, it shouldn't be because since you don't have the same attachment to the first one, I guess that's why you are able to just sit back and enjoy this one more so. Um, and I am trying to put my love of the first one aside and just look at this for what it is and treat it as its own standalone, but it's impossible to do that when you are pulling from the first one. I almost wish that they had done a complete departure from it and not acknowledged anything from the first one. No Billy, no Black Flame Candle, and and did make this more of a standalone, that these three new characters figured out a way to bring them back, and I would have been fine with it if you had cut all ties from the first one. I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more because I wouldn't have been harping so much on you unraveled the first one. Looking at it objectively, it's good, not great. It's still a fun Halloween movie. And they wove a decent coming-of-age story through it. Looking at it subjectively as the sequel, you not only unraveled a lot of what you built up in the first one, you kind of destroyed iconic characters. And I'm not going to say that I hated it. I I didn't even dislike it. I did like it and I enjoyed it. Am I going to revisit this one? Not very often. Do I love it as much as the first one? Certainly not. What I really wish that they had done was a prequel. I understand the whole reason of doing this is because you wanted Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy and Jimmy to reprise their roles, and as much as it was fun to see them again and... You know, it it sort of felt like a reunion in a way. And I love that we got more of them. But was it worth the cost of sacrificing a good story? Probably not. I wish if you were, since you bothered to do this, I just wish that it had been a prequel and they focused on the girls at age 16 coming into power. And I would have been more than okay with that. It, It would have been like Wicked. So right. that, I guess that's why I would have liked it.
0: We usually let you know that you can let a, you know, reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook with your thoughts on the film. And one of our loyal listeners, Melissa, she did do that. She sent us an email um, and it was a very well-written email. Um, so I'm just going to pull a small piece of it um, that I actually thought stood out to me. Um, when comparing the first film to this one, uh, she says that... Binx's story was at the heart of the last film, and I just don't think the second one had that strong emotional storyline all the way through. In uh, It had its moments, but I think because you saw Bank, uh, Binks fail in his attempt to save Emily... Um, you as the audience are rooting for him until the end when the spell takes her sisters Winnie never truly lost anything on a strong emotional level so the ending just kind of felt forced I know it's the old you don't know you don't appreciate someone until they're gone but I don't think the groundwork was laid well enough from a story or character perspective I think that what she said here I mean I, I think it's 100% correct I mean based on based on what we've said I think that that goes without saying that we completely agree with that observation.
1: I absolutely agree. And that could have been really effective had they written something like that in where Winnie acknowledges that she's lost her sisters once when Max, Allison, and Danny broke the curse and she's not willing to do that again. It would have at least given her more motivation or, or I would have believed her more when she's sad when, that she loses them.
0: Right. And uh, thank you, Melissa, for your email. If you do want to chime in with your views uh, or review of Hocus Pocus 2 or any film that we discuss on Monoreal Radio, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us Radio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break.
1: If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii... Get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at Zolezzi. that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Karma and Kismet, your official monorail news sponsor. And I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at karmaandkismetdesigns.com.
0: Don't forget, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code Monorail 10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's work. It's online at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. Okay, some news this week. First thing we want to shout out, friend of the show, Dan Lanigan. Uh, he's been on the show before when we did our review of Prop Culture. Um, still, He is
1: the host of Prop Culture. Yeah,
0: fingers crossed. We're still hoping for a season two. I know at the time when we spoke to him it was trending that way. I hope Disney goes through with that. But in the meantime, he has a new project coming out. He's making his directorial debut in a film that is coming out on November the 4th of this year, and it is entitled, um, Izzy Lion, the unspun truth. And it, it looks like it's sort of like a mockumentary, um, about a sign spinner.
1: It almost reminds me of Spinal Tap, but not in a ripoffy way. The trailer looks amazing. It's on his page. Uh, it's Dan Lanigan on Facebook. Um, but, it it looks great. The the cast is pretty stacked, so I'm excited to see this. So am I. And I'm I'm happy to support anything that he does because he was awesome. He was very kind to us.
0: Uh one of three trailers that we saw this week, the other two um have the internet lit ablaze. Uh Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. We got that trailer with again some Elton John music, uh goodbye Yellow Brick Road playing underneath.
1: I was really surprised that that was the song choice for this trailer. It worked. Yes and no, because when you hear Quantumania and all of these visuals that they're throwing at you, it feels so frenetic, and I feel like the energy of the song doesn't quite match that pace. But I understand as far as um, the Van Dyme story goes, Beyond the Yellow Brick Road, we're gonna see you know what um Janet Yeah I believe um Michelle Pfeiffer's character went through when she was in the quantum realm because she never thought she was coming back, so she didn't feel like she had to, you know, disclose everything that happened down there. And right. apparently there's a lot that we don't know. Um yeah, it it looks great. I just I'm bumping on that song choice a little bit.
0: And I only saw that trailer today. Because the trailer that everybody is talking about, and it's kind of unfair that they released them, I think, on the same day, um, is the trailer for the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, the holiday special, um, however they're titling it this year. Um, That trailer came out, and that got a lot more attention than Quantum Mania. We're going for the legendary Kevin Bacon. I am so excited to see this Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas show, um, and they're doing an overlay of Cosmic Rewind at Epcot. Like, I am so ready. Like, I don't want to rush through Halloween. I love Halloween, and I don't want to wish my life away and get to December already, but I'm so ready to see the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas episode. You have no idea.
1: You really did pick the perfect year to be Yondu for Halloween, I sure did. Which there's pictures all over our social media if you haven't seen it yet. Actually, I just put up the video today. Um, I did. Sean humored me and let me take a slow motion video of him walking through the tunnel in Disney uh, as you go into the Magic Kingdom. And I put uh, come a little bit closer <laughs> over the slow motion. It looks like Yandu walking through. It's great. Um, anyway. Love this trailer! I thought the Christmas movie that I was most excited for was going to be David Harbors, um, who we all know from Black Widow. Uh, he's got a Christmas action hero movie coming yeah, out
0: where he plays Santa Claus and he kills people.
1: I thought that that was going to be the best one, but I think Guardian takes it. Guardians takes it. I I love that they put it introducing Kevin Bacon.
0: Yeah, it's it's so good. Uh, We're excited. We want to know what you're the most excited about. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like us on that social media. We are on TikTok as well at Monoreal Radio. I just gave you the email address. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice and for links to everything related to the show. It is online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.